And I turned up at this most magnificent place. It was an old Victorian school that got squatted by a group of artists in the 70s that had transformed into this art centre. So we've made mistakes along the way that, you know, some like some things that, you know, that I wish never happened, but also that's part of the learning and growing of, of a company. Just that kind of energy, that DIY energy of just like getting shit done, like like the operation and the care and the attention that goes into creating such fucking things like is beautiful. It felt it felt like anything was possible in those days. Like literally like. This week we hear from Rhiannon White, co-founder and co-director of Commonwealth. Commonwealth make activist, socially charged work. They tell people stories in often immersive or site-based ways. And interestingly, they have two bases, one in Cardiff and one in Bradford. Rhiannon fronts the Welsh side of the company. And here we learn about her journey from her estate to squatting in Bristol to making this exciting company. I should say that we do talk about domestic abuse in this chapter. This one is from the heart and I've decided to keep it in because I feel like it's important. This is the director's diary. It's no one's intention ever to share a diary. So if you're listening to this, keep it close and use it well. So Rhiannon, it's delightful to have you on the podcast this morning. Um, thank you so much for joining me. So a little tradition uh, on the podcast for all special guests is to tell us your life story in two minutes. So obviously an impossible task, <laughs> um, but it's really interesting to see what people choose to talk about, choose to not talk about. So um, it, for people who don't know you, what's your life story? Um, so uh, my name's Rhiannon White. I am the co-artistic director of Commonwealth. Uh, my life story is I was born in 1984, which was a really significant year in Wales. It was the end of the minor strike. Um, I was brought up on a council estate called St. Melons, which is in East Cardiff. Uh, always get a bad rep. Um, basically, um, grew up there, loved it there because there was loads of kids, loads of green space to play in. Uh, grew up in a single parent family, uh, went to school there. Uh, and in 1993, uh, John Redwood, real bad man, he's Welsh Secretary of State, he came to my place and he absolutely demonised everyone, said all the single mums should have their kids taken off them and put into care. Uh, which caused a little mini revolution in me and some other people that I work with and know. So I'm a child of the John Redwood years who wants to uh, absolutely set the record straight. Uh, I got a job in an art centre when I was 15 and fell in love with like visual art and uh, live art and all of the great kind of Welsh performers that were around at that time. Uh, that's where I got my education in art. Went to Dartington College of Arts, which is a very experimental art school doesn't exist anymore uh, and then I moved to Bristol and started um, squatting and being with all the anarchists and that's where me and Evie met and fell in love and started Commonwealth <laughs> and, and through that time of being in Bristol I spent a lot of time working between the UK and Palestine I took a circus there um, in my 20s uh, three times it was like a, a, a homemade anarchist circus where we used to tour um, to different places uh, and I've been working with Commonwealth for 10 years. No, not longer, 12. <laughs> cool. 
cool. Um, awesome. No, That's the two minutes. <laughs> that was perfect. Yeah. That's perfect. It's not not all the time that guests get it bang on. That's great. I miss out a lot wow. of stuff, but um, yeah, that's the kind of gist. <laughs> Yeah, great. That's the that's the flyover. That's great. Um, so let's go right back to your childhood. So, what what was your childhood like? Oh, um, so I I grew up on the most amazing street. It's like it was like my primary school was at the bottom of my street, and it was like a circle. Like it, all the houses like formed a circle, and it was one of the first houses that got built when the estate got built. So the estate got built in like in the nineteen eighties. My mum was one of the first people to have a house. It was a lush house, ma- massive garden. Um, and what I remember from being a kid is like absolutely the love of just being in such an incredible close space with all my community. So it was, you know, like that whole kind of like doors are open, everyone's going in and out of each other's house. Um, I used to dress up all the kids in my mum's 90s and put on plays in my garden. You know, like it was kind of, it was, it was beautiful. But then... Also, um, you know, as in any, you know, most communities, there was also quite heavy stuff happening. There was a lot of unemployment. There was a lot of drinking and drugs and then um, a lot of pressure, I think, for people because St. Melons, where it is, is like on the outskirts of the city. Uh, It's not connected so well to the city. Um, A lot of unemployment. There wasn't many jobs. So it was often like the case that, you know, someone would run up the the street with a machete and that would be a normal occurrence or, you know, things were hard. Uh, And then for me, um, growing up, I grew up with my mum, my dad, my mum and dad got divorced when I was about four. I didn't really see him very much when I was growing up. And then my my mum was in, it was in a cycle of domestic violence. So there was quite a heavy heaviness to my childhood I guess like quite a sadness and a kind of um also a bit of a fight you know because when you're a child living with violence then you're kind of also playing the role of the adult and you know picking your mum up off the floor calling the police doing all those things that mm. a child shouldn't do um but yeah it was like yeah I guess the yeah a beautiful community a lovely space but then also this heavy darkness that also was complex and surrounded it, which was political as well as social, you know, like Wales was hard in the 80s and continues Mm. to experience quite a lot of poverty, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But at 15, you find a job? Oh, yeah. So, (laughs) yeah, at 15, I was was turning through the yellow pages, which young people probably don't know about the yellow pages. You know about the yellow pages, don't you, Alex? Yeah. Absolutely. So I was I was sat at home with my te- on the telephone and um just ringing 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 all the cafes I needed a job I needed some money and I got to see to chapter and um I called chapter I'd, I'd never been there didn't know what it was called them up and they said come in come another uh, chat with us I'm going to see what we can do and I turned up at this most magnificent place it was an old Victorian school that got squatted by a group of artists in the 70s that had transformed into this art center. And I just had a meeting with this guy, this lovely guy who ran the cafe. And he was like, yeah, have a job, come, come and work with us. And so I used to get two buses from, from East Cardiff all the way over to, to that, the other side. And um, I loved it, I loved it. And I was, I was basically like, you know, I was just 
on the till serving people, washing dishes, that kind of vibe. But um, it was the first place I learned what a courgette and an aubergine was. You know, it was like foods I'd never experienced. I'd never <laughs> met a vegetarian. You know, like it was all of a sudden my whole world was opened. And then um, amazingly, these incredible artists would just congregate there all the time. The likes of Mike Pearson and Eddie Ladd and, you know, people that, you know, I would have... Yeah, but I probably wasn't even learning that in college, but I was meeting them firsthand, becoming friends with them and then watching their work. There was really experimental and obvious time, you know, and really shaped theatre, I think, in this country. Um, yeah, so pretty amazing to have that. That is amazing. What what Were you seeing work as well? Were you, were yeah, you able so, to, to see the work then? Yeah, it was such a cool place because it was it was a bit anarchic. Like, it was like, you know, one of the... the the theatre technician lived upstairs in the back of the theatre and you know it was like everything went in that place so like you know you would find yourself in old corridors with shows happening down them or you know my job changed quite quickly from like working in the cafe to being a theatre usher to having free tickets to like the cinema and you know they're showing films from all over the world and me as a council estate kid was just like oh my god like I've never seen anything like you know, a French film, a German film, all the things just landing there. And I just spent all my time there, just kind of soaking it up and being in love with it all. And was, so Mike Pearson was there, was, is it Brith Goff? Yeah. Yes. They were. There. were they based out of there then as well? They were, the Cardiff Laboratory. Um, so it was, it, it's the only, it was the only art centre, is the only art centre in Cardiff, really. It, no, it is. Yeah. It is, and it, it was then in, um, Mike Pearson regularly used that building and Eddie Ladd was there all the time. You, you know, it was So for those who don't know Mike Pearson, what kind of work is it? What kind of, um, yeah, what's the, what's the history there? Well, Mike Pearson uh, was, he was from England and moved to Wales and um, his work is really um, about sight and people. So he wrote some incredible books on site-specific theatre and I think he really transformed the landscape here and across the world, I would say, where he he would really respond to a site with sometimes classical text, sometimes not classical text. But and I mean, in his later years, he was bringing together a group of older people to, to set up a physical theatre company. He was. was he a, yeah, in some ways, he was really like ahead of his time, maybe. Um, devised work is devised experimental work but really responsive to people and place and like yeah just amazing um and really playing with con the concept of stuff like um I went to see a national theatre Wales show the Iliad I think it was where you know it was a 12-hour durational piece in Lanethley <laughs> amazing yeah, yeah. And he, he put, um, I can't remember the text off the top of my head, but it was a kind of piece about war in an old army barracks, right? Yes. It's the kind of, yes, yes, and you were yes. sat in an, an old army barracks. The Persians. Where you're training these people. Yeah, up in the, Say again. it was called the Persians, up in the Brecon right. yeah. Um, very poignant to be talking about Mike because he passed away um, a couple of weeks yeah. ago. Um, yeah. Big loss. Yeah, very big loss and... It's that you don't you don't really know that it's here until it's gone. You know, it's like that age old saying. Um, mm. But yeah, 
a real honor to be able to have met him briefly at you know like through my interactions at chapter and to witness his work um mm. yeah and you can kind of see it in commonwealth stuff but we'll get onto that in a moment i, I want to talk about squatting in bristol <laughs> what was that like what was the what's the journey there well i left Dartington in when i was 20 21 you know 21 22 i moved back to cardiff and i was i was just so happy to be like I had the most amazing group of friends and they were all punks and anarchists and you know into living quite crazy lives and hedonistic you know like it was all about parties and free parties and you know not going against you know whatever status quo <laughs> that there was so we were squatting a lot yeah. in Cardiff and in Cardiff you just can't you couldn't do it like every time we entered a building and tried to set something up up a couple of days later someone would come like through the window with a piece of four by four and be like get out <laughs> what are you doing but in Bristol um at the time it felt like there was such a history of squatting and possibility of squatting that it seemed a little bit more acceptable maybe like in Wales it just wasn't acceptable uh in Cardiff maybe because there wasn't as many empty buildings or as much of a history uh but in Bristol like whole areas of the city were empty and dumb and and then there was such an incredible network like of like squatters who were like anarchists who were like hooking up through indie media you know like creating pathways for people to like just you know you break into a building then you'd have 20 people stand around it if someone was trying to evict it so there was like and uh, it felt more of a movement and I moved to Bristol I moved to Bristol because when I left uni I got into a violent relationship myself and I just needed to not be in Cardiff in Wales um and so I moved to Bristol because all my friends from Cardiff had moved there and they were all living quite mad mad lovely lives so I thought just I want to be in a big city I want to I want to see what that is um and when I got there it was amazing you know just that kind of energy that DIY energy of just like getting shit done like we're gonna have a party in a big old uh cardboard warehouse let's do it like like the operation and the care and the attention that goes into creating such fucking things like is beautiful it felt it felt like anything was possible in those days like literally like yeah it was amazing <laughs> it's the possibility of sight though isn't it what you're talking about right yeah. so the the fact that yeah. you, the squatting and the those makeshift like work with what you've got but in the place that you are it's kind of yeah kind of makes sense that, that you're making the work that you're making with that history right yeah. yeah yeah it is that like I think I think I was thinking about it this morning when I was coming to work and thinking about how the difference like working in working class places so at the moment I work in where I come from so I work in um, East Cardiff and my trouble is with there's no there's no buildings like there's no buildings to make the work whereas in Bristol there were so many buildings like incredible historic buildings just left to rot basically um and then you get like an incredibly enthusiastic kind of like energized group of young people who are like how can we transform this into something for people to use and then you're flying like 
Uh, we did a lot of work with the Invisible Circus in the early days of Commonwealth, who were based in Bristol. And amazing, like there was one point where they got given like a police station, a fire station, and an old CID block and an old courtroom. <laughs> and then that was Commonwealth's first office was in an old CID block in the centre of Bristol. But the energy, like the energy of using all of that space to create work was just like nothing I've experienced. So can you remember when you first met Evie? <laughs> yeah. When uh, me and Evie met, um, basically when I moved to Bristol, I saw like a call out online for a group of people wanting to get together and just make theatre and make a play loosely connected with the surface um again they they were people who were squatting buildings and just meeting up and um i started going to this group and then there was like the talk that there's a girl she's been on a boat working in europe making theater on this boat <laughs> she's coming back and she's gonna join the group um so there was all this talk about evie and then and then she appeared and um we made our first show together which was called the juniper tree was in an old abandoned abandoned medical hospital in Bristol, and uh, it was a, it was a fairy tale called the Juniper Tree that we basically created. Like it was almost like a punch drunk kind of world of like you can go wherever you want. The stories unfolding around you, follow the characters. Very different to to in a way to some of the work that we make now. Um, and me and Evie happened to be in the same room. So she was the witch and I was the pregnant woman who lost her baby. <laughs> we were in the same room and, and we just, I think there was like a natural shared understanding of the like why we want to make theatre, but then also this like real shared language of like how we want to make it. And then we just started buzzing from each other. Like we were both really passionate about um the politics of it say more yeah. uh well at the time um i was working in a theater in bristol and i think you know i'd gone from the art center in cardiff to this theater in bristol and i really felt uh different i've really felt my class i guess i really felt um that these were a different type of person that I, I wasn't really used to. Like, literally, people would click their fingers at the end of the bar. The way you were kind of treated, um, you know, just... It was, it, was very, it was a very different experience, and I think I would watch lots of theatre, and some of it was amazing, and some of it wasn't so amazing. And then I really questioned, like, what the, what, why, why are people not coming to this like and I think the biggest thing for me actually around the politics was when we were when I when I was in Bristol I felt like a lot of the work that was being created was for our friends and you know it could be as political as you wanted it to be it was still you were still speaking to the same people you would go home with at night or see the next day and that didn't feel it didn't feel active enough uh, it didn't feel like anything would change you're preaching to the um, choir yeah exactly and then you're going home you know I'm going home to St Melons and going okay so what are people doing here are oh, they just they're just working to live and they don't have the experiences that I've had where I've seen a massive immersive show in an old police unit you know like then you know I, and it made me feel sad it made me feel sad that people don't get to have 
that experience or yeah that that and and then you dig into it more and you got all the subsidized arts sector who are getting a lot of money and not doing they're not it's not good enough it's not working it's not reaching people <laughs> like it's reaching the same people over and over and over and over again mm. um yeah so you and i know Evie shares that frustration with me you know like both of us felt felt that you know 100 and that was 100%. that was the mission that was you know that was the mission of commonwealth was you know there's a snobbery around theater like oh people won't get live art they won't get experimental work but it's it's not true um you know the people that we work with day in day day out like our community they get it so much like yeah how can you not get a feeling like (laughs) or an experience well exactly and we had gecko on a couple of weeks ago and um Amit was saying, you know, it's about telling the human story. You know, everyone yes. can understand. It doesn't matter what language you're doing it in or, you know, you, you understand on a deep level what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you formed Beyond Commonwealth this. together. What were the early... What's the what's that first six months look like or that first year look like? Um... I think basically it was we we were loosely coming to get like we were coming together after Evie moved to London um and I was in Bristol and then we were coming together like Evie was coming to Bristol to make the work for our first show um and it was all a bit um kind of like doing it as we wanted to do it there was no pressure there was no funding we were just kind of like doing it because we loved it, like we lo- we loved catching up and making the work, and we made an amazing show called "The Ups and Downs of the Town of Brown," one of a, one of our first shows. Um, and then things started to get a bit serious. Um, once Evie had had a baby, um, she had she had a baby, and then she decided, after living up north with her mum and her, near her family, she decided to move to Bristol for me and her to to really make a good go of setting up a company um and I remember like the first time we ever applied for funding I think she was like she rang me and we were lying on the floor in her flat you know and her baby's there and we got this funding like wow you know like this is we never imagined to ever we never knew that world existed or that we would have access to it or that people would give us money to make the work that we did so it it was kind of mind-blowing um and I think the thing that really really launched Commonwealth was it was it was us making a show called Hourglass House and you know it it was all heart it was all heart and all mission and all like all about how we create social change like it was really in the DNA of us at that point and we just got stuck into everything you know for that show like everything every like we literally that was our world for so like you know probably for you know officially the first six months of commonwealth existing because it was loads of work before that but you know that felt like the defining moment (laughs) Mm. if you if you started again right now would you make the same decisions you made would you change anything (laughs) wow 
my brain doesn't really think like that, um, um, would, I think, I think because with the way things have unfolded, we've always been just like going day to day, like doing the work. And sometimes for the very first time, like, like we're not trained directors. No one trained you to run a theatre company. So we've made mistakes along the way that, you know, some like some things that, you know, that I wish n never happened, but also that's part of the learning and growing of, of a company. And if they never happened, then maybe they would have happened in the future. Do you know what I mean? Sorry to be all like that about it. Yeah. What, is, what things come to mind? Well, I think like things like, you know, the things that you kind, like now I kind of take for granted, but it's like things like, you know, knowing the contracts are important for people, you know, like in, in the early days, you're just like, woohoo, we're all doing it for the love, la, 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 you know, and then actually like the things that protect people or like protect the work. And, you know, in the early days, we didn't have that knowledge or experience. We were just kind of haphazard or, you know, there, there's, when we made our glass house, I lived in the house that the show was in because it was in houses and it was really hard because it was a show about domestic abuse and here I am like someone who's experienced it laying in a house decorated and <laughs> you know created into a piece of art that is like literally that and then you're sleeping there at night as well as waking up there it's quite intense you know like but quite in intense that sounds like the most intense thing ever <laughs> it was intense I mean I was with good people but you know it's exciting because you know you know we found ourselves in like a three million pound house in Camden and then you've got like this three floor three million pound house that you're rattling around in um but then you know you feel you I really felt the charge of that show like people would come you know the audience would be there for an hour but then the whole kind of energy just kind of resonated <laughs> it just stayed it stayed it stayed um so yeah, things like that, like it's it's the things like that you can't do because you don't have enough resource or enough money. And you have to kind of like take those risks and be a bit wild with it all to make it work. And maybe if I, you know, if we didn't compromise on those things, we wouldn't be able, none of our friends work in, you know, none of our family work in the arts. Nick Sorota ain't my dad, you know, like it's a different, it's a different way in. Yeah. And unfortunately we've had to hustle our way through the arts. Yeah. Yeah. And is that, do you think that comes down to class or, or no? I think so. I think, um, I think, oh God, well, you, you know, it's, um, the industry is, probably one of the most elite on the bloody planet isn't it and like who can afford to just shoot off and be a theatre maker like it's really like you can't like when I was in when we started I had like two jobs in Bristol I'd be waking up at 6am making coffee till two going home having a sleep then waking back up and going to the theatre like it was relentless it was things weren't readily available and, you know, I, I, me and Evie always say, you know, like, also, we had access to the benefit, you know, to benefits and things like that, which, you know, really made it possible for us to have a little bit of freedom to go and create. 
but um yeah I do think it's about who you know basically in the industry and I think some pathways are really easy for people because if you know if your family run a theater or you know at the heads of things then of course like that's your world this you have to learn the world that you're entering and the code the codes <laughs> the coded language that exists and all of that you know go on then so I'm, I'm really interested in this so was there a moment that you can remember that you were like ah like there's a certain code here or like the, was there a moment where you were like ah this person has done this because they know this person or like what can are there any moments like that yeah I guess more so um like in the early days we were just kind of like let's go you know like not really thinking about those things and really driving the the art and then the more rooms you get into and the more dynamics you find yourself in the more you try and make sense of it and go okay so you're you're coming from that perspective and my perspective is very different and I think it's like the experiences of like having people talk about the community you come from in a certain way or um, using language that you don't quite understand or that one of the defining moments for me is um I was on something called the Claw Leadership Programme which is about cultural leadership and it's amazing I, I, you know I had the best time there finding myself in rooms with literally the establishment and people who went to private school and people who were related to so-and-so or have an education that I just do not have I really felt, I really felt those rooms and had to make sense of it um, for my own sanity, you know, like, and, you know, there'd be times that you find yourselves in rooms where you don't want to speak or you don't, don't feel like you've got anything to contribute or that you'd be taken the wrong way or that you're always the feisty one who's kicking off about <laughs> the class, you know, like there's all that mm. bits around. And so what did you do? How did you get over that? Or did you? Um, I, I did get over it. I got over it by thinking, if I let that consume me, then what what am I doing? Because <laughs> what a waste of time. But, you know, like, there's hardly any people who, are, who find themselves in a position like that, in rooms like that. And, like, actually, it's not just about me. It's about the community that I come from and the people that, can't be in those rooms mm. so someone once told me that if you do feel that like have that thought do it in 30 seconds and then just get on with it and I'm like I'm, I'm a firm believer in that now it's like actually you know my experience is just as useful and important as any as the next person you know absolutely what do commonwealth do really well <laughs> I think Commonwealth do really well at, at basically working with everyday people, um, mainly working class people, bringing them on a process, on a journey into really thinking about the kind of stories they want to tell and then basically finding the right space, the right artists, the right people to tell that story uh, in the most experimental, beautiful way. I think that the biggest thing is we bring people together to have that experience. And when you say people, are you making, are you telling people's stories, real people's stories, like non-arts 
non-artists. Is it that that you mean? Yeah, it, often often we work with people who we we like to say the experts of their experience. Sometimes that means we bring people with our lived experience together with performers of any kind. Sometimes it, it is purely just people with that experience. So Pisophobia, which has just happened, is performed by uh, three Muslim men who are from, you know, the Modified Car Club. Um, Heyday Party, a show we're taking to Edinburgh, which is uh, being directed by an artist called Darren Pritchard, brings an artist, Stuart Bowden, together with a group of five artists from Wales, but who have all got lived experience of being working class, but also are performers. So it's dependent on the show um, and what the show's needs are. But we're really interested in like the chemistry of like when you bring different experts together, how that can all kind of bleed into each other. Because from our experience, like we did a show with National Theatre Wales called We're Still Here, which was about the steelworks in Talbot. We had a steelworker in the show called Sam. The magic of bringing him with all his knowledge of making steel, of the protests, you, you know, you cannot, you can't make that up. An, an actor can't imagine that, you know, and then bringing him together with actors was incredible, really, like that kind of meld of knowledge. <laughs> that's what I like. Alchemy. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's amazing. So what what was the that rehearsal process like? So, because as an actor, you you you're never gonna get to that lived experience. Yeah. What what was that like? It was amazing, man, and it was cool. Like Sam had loads of experience of performing. He performed in like the pantomime. Like there's there's an amazing panto in Talbot that is performed by all the steelworkers, and they produce, write, direct all of it. Amazing. Um, it's amazing. Balls of Steel. You can watch a documentary about it on uh, YouTube. <laughs> Great name as um, well. Yeah. So Sam Sam had that experience, but not professionally. And so, like, you know, not for National Theatre Wales. And then all of a sudden he's, like, on his, you know, one of the lead characters in this play. Yeah. And then the, the rehearsal process was amazing because we always like to have a really open process. So we had, like, we'd already done so much work with a local cast in Talbot. So we had, like, I think it was like 10 to 12 people locally who were um, performing in it as well, who were all impacted by the steelworks and the threat of closure. And then we would have the union reps, they would come and watch the show. So they would come in at the end of the day and they would watch and they would feedback and they would edit, live edit with us. And the writer um, had this one guy, Jason, he, he goes out hunting and we wrote a whole scene on hunting. So we were exploring like, who is the hunter and who is the hunted? And then he wrote a whole scene on how to skin an animal, you know, and we would never, ever know that detail. Mm. And it is that it's like being every like if we can see every interaction as an opportunity to, to develop the show in a deeper way. Then that's what we do, you know, like mm. that's kind of our process really is like, how do you bring all the layers, all the layers, all the layers from the site, from the people, from the artists, from the activism all together. Mm. Um, to tell the best version of the story, you know. That's awesome. I've I've got to ask because your your situation is a unique one where you've got one company 
kind of split into two. Two, they're basically two different companies, aren't they, under the same name, under an umbrella term. But one's in Cardiff, one's in Bradford. So, and it's you're you're fronting up the the Welsh side, and Evie's in Bradford. So, how how does that work across two cities? Well, I think like the way me and Evie have worked all over the like you know we've been working together a very long time the kind of thing that ties it all together is the the mission and the values of the company and you know commonwealth as a whole is like we see it as a movement you know it is like a creative movement but also a political movement and and we love the fact that it can operate in two very different places but also the kind of again the opportunities that come from that are like our audiences get to experience it together and they're two different audiences. Like the stories we tell, even though they're different, there's so much in common with them. We share, like artistically share, like our process, our practice, how we work together and how the company fits together. So we, you know, we're kind of mirrored. We're a mirrored company. Um, and then, you know, the the core, the core things that hold the company, the business together is... Um, shared between us too so in some ways we save a lot of money by sharing those things yeah like practically in those things um but it is a tricky one to get right because we operate in two countries you know wales is a different country we have a different arts council we have different funding requirements we have different political systems we have different um priorities i guess so it's like a double thing where you're like sharing the beautiful artistic kind of overview and then on the ground you're having to be responsive to the kind of external environment you find yourself in Mm. but the joy is to bring in together (laughs) does that make sense yeah completely yeah what's the most difficult thing that I'm I guess that I miss Evie you know I miss that like we miss each other and uh, that kind of like we don't have the opportunity to be in the rehearsal room together as much as we used to be um I've got a little baby so it's been quite uh, a mad time for me you know it's harder to travel than the the responsibilities change like I used to go to Bradford quite a lot and you know, we, we've made shows together up until I've met the enemy. So that was 2019. So, yeah, I think I think the hardest thing is missing my comrade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So to finish this little thought experiment, um, I want you to imagine that you are, let's say, 21 again in this year. Um, you're from the same place that you're from. You have the knowledge that you have today. What is your advice for 21-year-old Rhiannon? Don't wait for permission and just go and do exactly what you want to do. Don't wait for anyone to tell you that it's right or wrong. Uh, and embrace the anarchy of it all. Brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for today. It's been 
amazing, honestly. Thank you so much for your honesty. It's what this podcast is about. Amazing. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Alice. Hopefully catch you soon. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>